Okay, good evening everyone. Thank you for joining. Tonight's class can use a good sponsor. Anybody that wants to sponsor this year, retroactively, it's yours. Um, please let me know. I'm going to be a big schuss because it's an exciting year. Um, and hopefully you'll inspire many people, will inspire many people, will be inspired, I'll be inspired, all of us will be inspired from the inspiration, will come all the light and all the blessing and all the good and all the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. So thank you in advance for ever wants to sponsor tonight's class. Um, so tonight's class really is a, I mean, the content of this class I discussed already. We try not, I try not to do repetitions, at least the same subject two years, in, I mean, in repeated. Uh, we've been doing Parsha in my life already. I think this is the 12th round, and there's always something new. <coughs> um, sometimes it's hard to remember what was said uh, seven, eight years ago. But... Um, this time I am intently going over a class that I've done in 2017. That's four years ago. Um, it, the class is called Taking Control. Vayigash. You can look it on the website. It's called Vayigash Taking Control. And I'm sure I didn't listen to that class today. I just checked to see if I taught this. And I re it was in my head that I did. Uh, this is a talk that the Rebbe gave in the year 57-51 on Pasha's Vayigash. It's very, it's a fascinating talk and something very, very special. And I, and, and there was a certain excitement in terms of whatever the, uh, the Rebbe I saw it as his speaking of Ruach HaKodesh, of literally pro prophetic talk. We was talking about, you know, things that are gonna happen that are the way he was describing it, beginning to happen in the world and reaching at his time when he spoke about it, it was just starting and then it was reaching like a real real powerful crescendo if you can say in 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 2017 and 2017 was right when the transition uh political transition in the united states of america january 2017 was right after the 2016 election and i of course i was uh gung-ho going very excited and um, the content that you have a government that was the content of that talk is that right before the exile ends, there is a complete metamorphosis and a transformation in the government from being the, the government that we're under during the time of exile, which is a time of oppression, being flipped over and becoming an ally to holiness. And over there, the Rebbe points out that that's the content of Pasha's Vayigash. Vayigash is a time when Jews are in exile, yet they're living in the best possible way. They're in control over Egypt. They have their man in, 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 in control of Mitzrayim. Uh, Yosef. Yosef has huge influence on Pharaoh. So that's very ugly, nasty monster. Paro, at this point at least, he's the best friends of the Jewish people. And he's assuring that the Jewish people are living literally the best life possible. So the Rebbe says that just like it was in the exile of Egypt, but there the good days came before the bad days, in this current exile it's the opposite. First there is the dark 
exile, and then there is moments before Mashiach comes, there is a flipping over of the government and everything becomes aligned and synchronized with the Jewish people for the good of the Jewish people. So obviously you can understand in 2017 how excited I was giving that class. We find ourselves in the year 2020, 2020, which corresponding to that, would, if it would be after January, it would be 2021. And we find ourselves today, obviously, in a little bit of a different situation in which the, uh, the projections seems to be very bleak and dark. But um, uh, as we will discuss, there is a certain excitement to me giving this class because if you really would like to, if we really want to see Ruach HaKodesh, prophecy, Nevuah, and so on and so forth, there seems to be an unbelievable prediction and um, inspiration and powerful um, bracha that's here. And I'm, I, I would say that I'm giving this class from a completely different place that I was four years ago. Four years ago I gave the class just as an outburst of excitement. Now I'm giving the class similar to last week, as a means of hoping to impact the cosmos, okay? Torah controls the world. Nothing to do with me, I'm just a nobody, but just as a channel, okay? By all of us studying this and learning this together and kind of altering the frequency. Someone pointed, someone sent me a good message. I never responded to him. I should have responded to him. He lifted my spirits in which he told me that um, right, I think, in, in these 24 hours that we just passed, the transition went from going, maybe he said it yesterday, I'm not exactly sure, but literally in this week, in these, in these couple of days, we're transitioning towards longer days and shorter nights, as opposed to until now, the darkness was getting stronger. So there's a certain flip in the universe in which brightness is beginning to take, take, take power again. We know we're at the threshold of the redemption. If there is any darkness, if there is any rise of klipa energy, it's just a little, a little fluff. It's just a little uh, bump in the road, if you might say. It, it, it doesn't have any real value. It doesn't have any real power. It's, it's nothing. And uh, I hope that by, by, by reading and sharing, again, I am repeating what was said then. I'm definitely going to give it over differently because I, I, and, I have, and I think in that talk we didn't emphasize this particular point that we're going to be talking about today, but I'm just saying it's a complimentary, co complimentary class, the one from 2017, uh, titled, what did I say? I forgot the name I told you. Our, our task? I forgot. Something about our role, the Jewish people's role in the exile. Um, verse, so that's that class and this class, and together they make up a complete idea. And anyways, I told you at the beginning of the year, I'm not one of the, again, I hate saying that, I told you, nothing with me telling you, but, you know, as we're going through this, me and my audience and all of you together, um, before Rosh Hashanah and then after Rosh Hashanah, I remember especially in a Sukkot class, what I, we, we mentioned a powerful idea of the Hassam Sofer, in which the Hassam Sofer is the, one of the great Jewish scholars of uh, the, the, uh, the 19th century. He was an, he's an Hungarian a rabbi in Hungary, uh, just uh, outstanding in terms of his scholarship, mainly in halacha and in uh, the revealed part of the Torah. But yes, he was a mystic as well. As you read a lot of his, he's a lot of Kabbalah. And um, in his teachings, 
is a primary rabbi of Hungarian Jewry. And um, he has this cryptic teaching regarding, which we mentioned, everybody was excited about, it was passing around and floating around, but I wanna, I wanna bring everybody back to that place because I think it's very, very important for us to remember that. He, may, he says something about the, the number 5780, Tufshin Pei. And he says Tufshin Pei is, 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 a, is a force associated with a lot of darkness, with a lot of klipa, with a lot of unholiness. Some forces of, some, some dark force. Now, Tufshin Pei is 5780. It's actually 780, but if you add the five, it's 5780. Last year, and last year we know we had a difficult year. Everybody is counting down to the conclusion of 2020 and saying, "Oh, this was like this was a rough one. 2020 was a very hard one to deal with." Tavshin Pei was where the Corona came in, and all the—I mean, a lot of darkness. And we had the riots, and I mean, this was a year. What a year! What a what a difficult year. And if you don't have a Muna, if you don't believe in God, and we don't believe. Then any second Mashiach is going to just blow the darkness away and the light is going to be so intense that one can really be completely crushed. But the Chassam Seifer continues and he says, but Tavshin Pe'alif, and again, he's not specifically talking about a year, neither in 5780 and not in 781 that he mentions the next year, but still he says it's, the, the, it's almost clear because I want to be true to the actual statement, I'm not going to say that he says it explicitly, but it's almost explicit. He hints to it so strongly that he's talking about a year. And he says that in 81, 5781, is the same numeric, the word, that the number of the year spells out in Hebrew, Tashin Pei Aleph, rearrange the letter, you get the word Ashpos. Ashpos means the dumps, the dumpster. And he says, we say in Tehillim, we just finished saying it in Hallel every day, May From the dumps, God lifts up the impoverished one. An impoverished one are the Jewish people. The Jewish people are called the Ani, the poor man, the Evion, the destitute. God lifts the destitute from the dumpster. And I'm taking you now three months into the year. Okay, we just finished the month of Kislev and we just entered the month of, 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 of Teves. So Tishrei, Cheshven, Kislev. And I know from me and at my class, you get only hopefully optimism and very bright. Oh, <laughs> it's nothing to do with anything, it's just my nature. I'm an optimistic person in, 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 in general and, hope, and I try to hang around optimistic teachings. So I'm looking at the bright side and seeing the bright side, but I have to say that as an optimist that I am, it's tough now. Um, the idea of my ashpos sitting in the dumpster feels very real. And the stench, even though I lost my sense of smell, but this stench I can smell is so horrific. It is so demoralizing and so draining that literally I have to tell you, okay, I'll make a confession, that sometimes I sit and I can hardly breathe. I can't inhale. I can't even take the oxygen in. I'm just sitting there like, it says literally, it says in Mitzrayim that the people couldn't listen to Moshe 
mikoitze ruach from shortness of breath. It's like there's no energy in my soul to even to, 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 to be able to like breathe in and, and, and because you feel I feel so blocked by this darkness. And I'm saying this because I want to speak to those Jews and those amongst you who might be in the same boat like I am. You turn on the news. I don't have a turning on of a television. I don't have that. But you look at the internet and you're looking at that's where I'm getting my news from and, and so on and so forth. And it's, it's like all the same faces that you thought we got done with that we saw many years ago. And now suddenly they're all over the place. And you're, and you're just like, please, just not. Just not again. They just they just passed this this uh, st new stimulus bill. Groise Glicken. I'm going to get six hundred dollars for me and six hundred for my wife. Very good. Thank you. It's it's nice to get some money and everybody should get money and everything should be nice. But can you believe that they put into that bill two hundred and fifty dollars for Palestinians' causes? I mean, where in, in the world does that belong in a stimulus bill to stimulate the United States economy? You see. Oh, we're a country of kindness. Yeah, there's enough kindness to do in this country right now that is suffering. Out of all things, basically what I'm saying is the news is no good. And when you see the people that they're being appointed to, to run the show, it literally, you, you, you almost can't breathe. So why am I saying this? Because the Hassam Sofer told us 200 years ago, May I, now Corona didn't get to me. It didn't. I mean, I was able to stay optimistic, but this... This uh, past month and a half with this whole new whatever, and especially when we take into consideration the possibility, which, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, no one knows the truth, but the very, very likelihood that all of this was just so dishonest and so such a, such a corruption and such a, such a horrible cover-up of truth that it, 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 it literally stifles the soul as if you're literally sitting in the dumpster. And where are we standing? And we have the prophecy, and we are told, May that's exactly it. It's exactly the moment. When you feel like you're in the dumps, when you feel like you're in the dumps, that's when it's going to turn over. So I know it's going to turn over, and that's my optimism, and that's my excitement, and that's where I'm turning to you today and asking, let's all be optimistic together. Let's all just... Find the strength, the courage, the place within our heart to believe, to hope, because it will be good. No matter what, where, and when, it's going to turn over. This is the year of the flipping over. There is no question that it's going to flip. How, what, where, and when, I can't tell you, but it's going to flip. And this is the week of the flip. Why am I saying this is the week of the flip? That I can't tell you guaranteed, but there's a lot to say that this is the week of the flip, and that takes us to 1991, the Lubavitcher Rebbe sitting Shabbos, by the Fabrenian Patris Vayigash, and he's talking about flipping over the darkness of the world in the last moments of exile. Parshas Vayigash. And it was Heitavis that Shabbos, which we know Heitavis, we celebrated it yesterday. It was an auspicious day on the Chabad calendar, the day the Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, won his court case regarding his, the books of his predecessor, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. Big, huge library. But the Rebbe felt belonged to the Hasidim. Some family member decided that those books belonged as private estate to the, to the family. And therefore he felt he has a right to those books and take them. And the Rebbe felt it belongs to the Jewish people. And therefore it belongs to the institution of Hasidim, Hasidus in the world. 
And that's where it belongs, so that it can continue illuminating the light with the powerful light of Mashiach. On the Hay Tavis, the fifth day of Tavis, he won a court battle, in which, in federal court, in which they decided that the. So on, on that very day of his cell, now that happened in 1987. If it helps anybody, I'll share with you something interesting, and then you make with it whatever you want. The English date of 1987, the, sec the, the secular date, uh, the Hebrew date on 1987 was Hey Tavis, the fifth day of the month of Tavis. The English date is the 6th of January. I think that's really interesting. That day is the day that is coined and framed as Didan Notzach. That's the famous song in Chabad, Didan Notzach, we won. We were victorious. Um, I mentioned last night by Yafabrengen, the word Didan is the same gematria as 68, which means life won. It's a lot of death. There's a lot of morbidity in the world. There's a lot of constant barrage of, of virus and sickness and death and darkness and, and heaviness. And, and what are we fighting it? We're fighting and, and restriction and lockdown and 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 whatever. I don't know what's in the syringes they're giving everybody they want to give. I'm not telling you what we're and when. I because I don't know. I zero don't know. It might be the God saving grace miracle, it might be some other whatever stuff. I don't know. I'm just not too, I, I don't see in that, uh, in, in a syringe and in, and in some who knows what, what's in that syringe, in that Jew, the remedy that's going to redeem the world. I see the remedy in redeeming the world and the teachings that we're teaching over here in the light of Hasidus, in the light of Mashiach, in the light of Torah. That's where the remedy of the world lies. So when there's this, this, this fight, this battle, it's even on a global scale between life and death, life will win, holiness will win, godliness will win, goodness will win, and redemption will overpower exile. Right now, they're in a head-on battle, and it's, 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 it's very intense. And obviously, we're in this intense moment, this entanglement. No question we're in the entanglement right now. As we discussed last week in the class, the two kates, the two powers of kates, the kates of the right side and the kates of the left, side are tangling with each other. The kates of the right side means the beginning of the light. The kates of the left side is the, is the end of the darkness. They're tangling with each other right now. But we are sure that Yamin Hashem Reimeimah, the kates hayamin, the kates of the right will win. Holiness will win. Geula will overpower Golos. Redemption will overpower the exile. So that's where we stand right now. Um, so in 19, on that Shabbos, hey Tavis, 57-51, Parsha's Vayigash, the Rebbe's addressing this week's Parsha, and over here he drops a stunning statement. The whole theme of the talk is, the is that the whole idea of exile and redemption is not that there is a situation that calls that we fall into darkness, and then we manage to escape the darkness and we get out of the darkness and we're liberated into the good days, into a place of light. And we abandon the darkness and eventually the darkness is just disintegrates and it's blown away. That's not what happens. The whole idea of the darkness is that in the darkness lies the diamonds, the deepest treasures. And that the, whole, the idea of Mashiach is the flipping of the darkness itself to light. The same idea that we did discuss in 
other class that the, the way Mashiach comes is migoila legeula from gola to geula. Gola means re, uh, golos, and geula means redemption. And the same word gola is geula. The difference between them is that in the word gola, there's lacking an aleph, and the word geula there is an aleph. What's the aleph? What's the difference between? So it's amazing. It's a word that means both exile and redemption, and yet it's the primary word is the same word. Couldn't have two opposites. Exile means death, suffering, illness, discord, ignorance, um, hatred, war, violence, uh, whatever, hunger, uh, abandonment, loneliness. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on and on describing the, the darkness. And, 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 and redemption means illumination, closeness, um, peace, tranquility, love, harmony, satiation, bliss, ecstasy, life, happiness, joy. Right? So, the, so how can... And, and the two situations are the same word. The difference is... The way we come from the darkness to the light is not by, as we said, escaping the darkness, but by sublimating the darkness itself, by elevating the darkness, by opening the light in the exile, and suddenly those very dark elements of exile, those very monsters, suddenly look like prince, princes and princesses. They look beautiful. Because when we all shine the light upon them, they're not ugly, they're not dark, they're suddenly transformed. We see their true content and they themselves recognize their true content for what they really are. So the very same, very same dark forces of exile are acting as alliances and supporters of redemption, of holiness and godliness. So the whole idea of the Gula. Is that, is that the darkness itself flips over to light. That's, that's the theme. And he says that's the entire theme of Parshas Vayigash. The weekly portion of Parshas Vayigash, as we mentioned earlier, is a period of time when Jews are in exile, yet the exile is bright. Now let me say something. Converting the exile into brightness ultimately means that we're not in exile anymore. And if we are in a certain location where we find ourselves in exile, we're enriched by the treasures that we had, that we've, that we've um, accumulated, gathered, and elevated during the time of exile, but we bring them with us out of the exile, we bring them to the land of Israel. Similar like when the Jewish people left Egypt, they went and they took Rechush Gadol, they took the great wealth of Egypt, and they brought it to the land of Israel. But where do we celebrate? In the land of Israel, not in the place of exile. And the same will be when Mashiach comes. We know that all the homes of worship, all the shuls, all the yeshivas, all, and, and if you turned your house into a place of worship to Hashem, if your house is a place where you study Torah and you have guests, and you do mitzvahs and you, and you, and you, and you pray and, and thank Hashem and say blessings, then your house becomes a little, a, little, a little shul, a little yeshiva. And then the house itself will come along to Israel, as we know. We're told by the sages. So 
Obviously, we're extracting certain elements from the exile, enriched by the sparks of holiness. Including in that is we're bringing the Gentiles themselves, who become big allies of Israel, like we're seeing happening in the world now, across the globe. And when you have hundreds of millions of people becoming allies of Israel, both from the Christian world and from the Muslim world. Transformation that's happening in an amazing way. So this is all bringing, elevating the exile and bringing that all into the experience of Geula where in Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, with the Holy Temple, with Moshiach Tzadkenu. Okay. So that's the optimum and that's the final stage. But as a preparation for that, this is the theme, the Rebbe spoke about that Shabbos. As a preparation for that transformation, that happens after Mashiach comes, we experience something of that, close to that, already in the time of exile. Is that the very dark exile, while we're in the diaspora, while we are still scattered across the globe, the very same places that tormented us and brought us all kinds of suffering, suddenly have a new face. They're supportive, they're they're, they're involved in, 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 in assisting in observance and so on. The governments change. And they are, they're, they're, they're not impeding or interfering with Jewish observance. They're assisting with Jewish observance. In 1991, the Rebbe pointed to the Soviet Union that was having a change of heart and a change of attitude, a change of government, a change of heart, a change of... <laughs> Instead of its oppression, we're allowing Jews to practice freely and even joining in their practice and supporting them, either assisting them to leave the, the previous USSR, or even assisting them in Russia itself, building and constructing and, 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 and establishing um, 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 places where Jews can learn Torah and do mitzvahs, which is unheard of, it's just unbelievable. Included in that is also, he says, the, the, the period of time that the Jewish people have been living in America, the United States of America which is also a period of time of transformation. The United States of America is a transformation. It's the first place in our history in, we, in where we had such freedom and such government assistance in being able to be Jewish and living in tremendous prosperity. The Jewish communities are living in tremendous prosperity. That's all related. So that's an introductory state. That's the stepping state. That symbolizes the concept of exile. Since exile is not meant to destroy, that it's a darkness that needs to be destroyed. So if that's the case, you can wonder, why is it that for most of our exile it wasn't that way? For most of our exile, we the Jewish people were persecuted by our surroundings. We were unwelcome guests. We were tormented. We were ridiculed. We were stepped upon. We were spat upon. suffered indescribable persecution and horrific torture. So why was that? And the answer is exile serves two purposes. One purpose is to test the Jewish soul, to test our endurance, to reveal who the Jew is, that the Jew is unbreakable. So therefore the Jew needs to be put through the worst of the worst, God forbid, in order to bring out that his and her commitment to their faith 
and their commitment to God is unseverable. It's infinite. No matter how, what you will challenge it with, they will overcome and they will prevail. And we've done that in flying colors through the thousands of years, whether it was the Crusaders, whether it was the Inquisition, whether it was the pogroms, whether it was uh, Hamlinitsky and the Cossacks, whether it was a Holocaust, whether it was all the suffering and the Persia and Antifadas, and, 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 and all through thick and thin, the Jewish people remained intact, loyal to God, connected to Hashem. So that's one element. It brings out the depth of our commitment. And that is served through when the exile acts as a monster, when the exile acts as a force intimidating us, fighting us. That's one element of exile. There's another element of exile. In the darkness of the exile itself is buried incredible treasures of godly potential. And when we are in the darkness and yet serve God, in the darkness we begin to, 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 to unearth, to dig out these sparks of holiness that are part of the very, very tormenting forces that have been in exile. Once we expose the spark, the nature of that, of, that, of that host who's holding the spark changes because they re-identify themselves, see themselves differently. They have a new face, they have a new attitude. Just like you're seeing now with millions of Muslims who are now loving Israel and want to be part of the new relationship between Israel and the Arab people. That's just a new face. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it, it, it's just incomprehensible. It doesn't make any sense. The answer is the spark of holiness that has been hidden inside has now been exposed. And they want to identify with Abraham and be part and be best friends with the Jewish people. Same in the Christian world, primarily in the United States of America and even in the Soviet Russia. So this is all this transformation. And this takes place at the last moments of exile. So the Rebbe says, oh, so what's so exciting? Because over there, in this talk, we're going to get to that in, in, at the, in a little while. I'm going to develop it. We're going to go there. But in this talk, this flipping, the Rebbe relates it mysteriously to this year. To the year of 5781. And he draws a parallel between, ninth, between 5751 and 5781. And I'd, we discussed this. We, we spoke about this already earlier this year. But it's exciting because it's this week it's Parshas Vayigash, and it's the week the Rebbe said it. And it's so amazing that we're standing right now in such a crisis of such a seeming to be a last pocket of darkness, which we have a, which in which we have a prophecy of a year that will flip. Now I can't say I'm not saying that he said that this if everything's going to flip this week. No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it as a prayer, I'm saying it as a hope, I'm saying it that it makes sense based on what he said and when he said it, I'm saying it so that we can activate it. We can talk about it and when we talk about it and ask for it and keep it in our prayers and, and, and speak of it, that, that helps determine the, 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 the situation. Let's hope for this stunning miracle this week of seeing again a a government seeing again a, 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 a world organization that supports the Jewish people 
being in the land of Israel, in the entire land of Israel, and is ready to declare and to lend a hand to the rebuilding of the third temple. Again, everything must come in a natural way, that the world itself supports it. Of course, no matter who's in the White House, no matter who's you know, in, in the UN, no matter who's making decisions, it can be the, 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 the biggest anti-Semites, God can do whatever He wants. He can silence everybody and just call, you know, and, and, and do what He wants through extraordinary miracles. But that's not the miracle we want because that means that God is suspending the world and, in other words, the world itself is not good in God's eyes and God has to override it. We know we've been here for thousands of years, hopefully. We did the work to transform the world. So we want to see a world that's supportive of this whole thing. So let's see, hopefully, that, this, that, this, that, that the miracle will, will happen. As it seems like the Rebbe was predicting, he definitely predicted, again, definitely, I'm going to have to take away definitely because I can't tell you that's what he said clearly, but the, all the pointers are pointing that this holy tzaddik, the leader of the Jewish world, in 1991, when he was talking about the world entering the messianic era and the messianic um, space, he mysteriously started speaking about fifty, about seven, eight, about eighty-one, the number eighty-one, and connecting it to fifty-one. Which fifty-one? He's talking about the year fifty-seven, fifty-one, and here he's talking about eighty-one, and so it's very makes all the sense to connect it to 5781 that he's referring to this year in a prophetic vision. That's all. So that's what's exciting. So let's see for a moment what, where do we see this, this in this week's parsha? I was to, to crystallize this idea in this week's parsha. And what does it particularly have with this year of 81? What's the symbol in the year of 5781 that makes it so, so connected to the, to the energy of the year? And he says, if you take a look at the beginning of the Parsha, the Parsha begins with the drama of Yehuda and Yosef. The, the, the tribes are contesting Joseph. There was this great moment, explosive moment. There's a confrontation. Joseph is still hiding, pretending to be the grand viceroy of Egypt. Not, the brothers don't know that he's their brother. Okay? They think he's a Gentile king. They're taken by his aristocratic and by his, uh, by his um, charisma. But they have no idea who he is, because it was so far-fetched from them that when they sold Joseph, he was just a slave boy. So they couldn't imagine that, that he rose to power to be the most powerful person in the world. It was just, it was so unfathomable that they didn't see it. And Rashi says, of course, he left them. He wasn't, didn't have a beard yet. And then I saw him now with a beard, so it was, he was camouflaged. He threatened to take away Benjamin the youngest of the sons, Binyamin. They knew that they can't do that because they're going to come back without Binyamin. God forbid they're going to kill their father. And they, were not, and they, 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 they knew, they saw what they did to their father the first time by abducting Joseph and Yosef and selling him. 
They just did not have the heart to be able to do this to their father. They just basically knew that they stuck a dagger into his heart one time to their own father. They were not going to stick that dagger further in. They just couldn't do it. And Yehuda, particularly, took responsibility. He said to his father, I'm responsible, and if I don't bring him back, I'm finished. In this world, I'm cursed, and in the, and in the future world. Which means, I'm, it's not like, you know, one day I'll have my rectification. I'm all in, that's what Yehuda said. I'm all in. I'm all in, 100% I'm going into this. I'm bringing back Binyamin. I'm giving it my everything. Yehuda was a royal being. He's the king of the Jewish people. He has the, the power of royalty. So he has all the ferociousness and all that determination and all that to a fighter, a fighter to the very end. And he was physically powerful as well. And he stood up to Joseph, that's the beginning. And he, on the one hand, he seems to be pleading, trying to evoke mercy from Yosef, but as the Midrash tells us and hinted to in Rashi, I mean, Rashi shows us it's hinted to in his words, he's speaking very tough words, threatening him and telling him, you better not mess with me. So this is the confrontation that's going on until they put Yosef in a corner and he basically can't hold himself back anymore and he spills the beans. And those famous, beautiful words where he says, "Ani Yosef, I am, I am Joseph. Aoda Avinu is our father, still alive." That's that moment. And then, of course, everything changes. So the the Rebbe points out something really interesting. That really, in this story, there is a there is there is there is there is layers. Like everything in Torah, there's layers. But over here, you can see the layers in a very clear way in this confrontation. When Yehuda is stepping up to Joseph. When Yehudas goes stepping up to Yosef, there is, as this whole story is playing out, not from us. When we're reading the story, immediately when we start reading the first verse, we know who Yehuda is coming to. We know that it, he's, he's speaking to his brother. He just has no clue that he's speaking to his brother. We know that because we, we read the whole story. So we know all the parts. Yehuda experienced the story, but he did not experience that story that Yosef was in prison and came out and became the viceroy of Egypt. That he doesn't know. That information is held back. So he, in his mind, is standing in front, front of a mighty ruler, a Gentile ruler, and he's at the mercy of him, willing to take a stand and even fight, but he's still at the mercy of the mighty ruler. So Yehuda, in his mind, is standing in front of a superpower, pleading his case. For who? So what does it really mean? It means the Jewish people at the mercy of a foreign ruler, of a foreign government. That's as it is in Yehuda's imagination, in his mistaken uh, understanding of what's going on. Then there is the truth of the story. Two brothers are about to meet. They're talking. It's a brotherly talk. He's not going to kill you, he's not a threat, he's not a danger, he doesn't want any harm, everything is good. Not only that, you are in such a good position right now, Yehuda, you don't even know it. Your brother is the most powerful person in the world. So anything you need, anything you want, is now at your fingertips. You are totally in control, because he's your brother. But Yehuda doesn't know. So there is the real story is that that this is, that this is a, an incredible, powerful moment for the Jewish people. Again, if we, take, if we strip away 
the, the, the individual players and we look at it as a story of the Jewish people, it's an incredible moment. It's a moment of enormous power. It's like in the Megillah Esther when we have Esther in the palace. But over there again, you know, at the, at, the, at the blink of an eye, Pharaoh can kill Esther. He can do the same thing to Yosef, but you know, there's no reason for that. He he's literally swears by Yosef that Yosef is the savior of his country. So we got this like most powerful person in the, in the, in the government, one who's controlling everything, and he's, a, he's at our team. So mistakenly, we think we're, we're very weak. And we're going to fight. We're not, we're not going to go down without a fight. Truthfully, we're enormously powerful. And then there is the third layer of the story. The third layer of the story is that there is the spiritual dynamics over here. And the spiritual dynamics is that Yehuda represents the Jewish people. And it says, Vayigash Elav, he's stepping up to Joseph. Joseph is over here representing God. HaKadosh Baruch Yehuda's Malchus, various different Kabbalistic ideas. But what's... Let's move Yosef to the side. It says, Vayigosh Elav, he approached to him. Who is the him? It's the Jew approaching God in prayer. The Zohar associates this verse, Vayigosh Elav Yehuda, is, you know what we do all the time when we, when we step back and then we approach and we bow down, Baruch Hashem, we begin the Shemona Esrei, we begin our prayer. That's what Yehuda is prayer. It's the time when we're submitting ourselves to God, the Jew in prayer. And who is Vayigash Elav? Who are you? We approaching? We're approaching Hashem. Okay. And what is that? Seems to be unrelated to this whole whole topic. A Jew in connection to God. The Rebbe says the truth is all these three are deeply connected. And in a powerful, powerful lesson for the Jewish people. What's the lesson? The lesson is you might find yourself as a Jew and the story of the Jewish people is that we are at the mercy of all kinds of powerful tyrants, powerful rulers across the world. And that has been for much of our history. Whether it was the king of England or the king of France or the Kaiser of Germany or the Russian Tsar or the Roman Emperor or the Turkish Sultan. Whoever it was, throughout all the generations, all the United States president, we were at the mercy of all kinds of different powerful rulers in which constituted our sojourn amongst the nations, our very long exile. When that, and that's the first part of the story. We are, and what are we doing? And we need to approach, we need something fixed. There is a certain situation which can go this way or can go that way. And we want it to work in favor of the Jewish people. It doesn't look like it's happening that way. And we're seeking to change something. How many times did that happen in Jewish history? An edict was given, a decree was given, in three days all of you are kicked out of town. New taxes are being placed that's unbearable, crushing taxes. A decree about this and a decree about that. Throughout all our history. And what did Jews do? They sent a delegation. The rabbis, the president, with a bribe, with a... Always seeking to beseech the, the, the ruler, trying to find some bit of humanity in, these, in the hearts, sometimes of such cruel people, and trying to have mercy and plead. And, you know. So this is all showing on a certain weakness, which would seem to be the story of the Jewish people in exile. 
But there is the true story. There is what it looks like from our narrow, narrow perspective, where we don't see things as they really are. When we only have a higher perspective, we're, we lift ourselves up beyond the clouds, beyond the fog, and we see what's really going on. The Jew is really always in control. He's really in control. Why? Because the only reason this ruler, this emperor, this king, this, this monarch, who thinks he's, you know, he's got, he's got this army and power and wealth and strength, and he's, he's, you know, he's got all, the only reason he's in power is because God put him there so that he can facilitate a home for the Jewish people. As it says, every nation that the Jewish people went to exile, that nation became powerful. Every nation that was the host, the primary host, for the, when the Jews were in Spain, Spain was the most powerful nation. They lost all their wealth once they kicked the Jewish people out. That's what the Zohar says. Wherever the Jewish people come, that nation becomes the powerful nation. So really, their entire power comes from the Jewish people. Comes from the divine presence. Because all kingship, God is king. There's no other king. There's only one boss, and that's God. Since the boss comes along with the Jewish people, because God, the Shekhinah, wherever the Jews are, the, God goes along with her children. So when that nation comes into another nation, the Shekhinah comes along, that nation becomes powerful and strong. And as a result of that, who's really giving them power? You're the one giving them the power. And therefore, we really have control over the nation. Now, not always was it seen. Obviously, we go back in history. When, for whatever reason, the divine decree was that the Jewish people need to be persecuted for whatever reason, so it was. That's because God separately is decreeing the decree, because God is making the decree, not because this shmoiger, not because this emperor, this guy who thinks he's a knacker, he's a, he's a ruler, he has powers. Not because of that. Because God is decreeing that. But in truth, the Jewish people, as a child of Hashem, as God's representative, as God's ambassador in this world, the Jewish people have all the power, like in the story. Why? What is the reason why the Jew has the power? Like it is, again, the first, the first element of the story is shows on the weakness of Israel, of weakness of the Jew. But in truth, as the truth is that we're really, that, that Yehuda really had nothing to worry about because his, his brother Yosef is really in control. What's the reason for that? We go to the third interpretation of what's going on. Vayigash Elo is because the Jew is always attached to God. Or let's put it this way. When the Jew turned to God and prayed to God and made that connection, everything was always good. Everything always turned out right. When Jews did shuva, when Jews returned, repent, and connected, it was always, they always, all the problem, everything, all the horrors would always... I mean, there were moments that of unexplainable suffering. And we're not going there tonight, of course. And it's inexplicable. No, we, can, we can't say it was lacking of tshuva or the like. It was some kind of divine decree that something horrible and something excruciatingly difficult that the Jewish people needed to endure, like the Holocaust or things like that. But in, 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 in general, when we were, as we know, the story of the Jewish people is literally hundreds if not thousands of stories, historically, when there was like a looming threat, something very, very difficult, something very harsh on a community, on a people, on a coming from a certain government, from a certain minister, and, this, and then an extraordinary miracle happened of deliverance. And how did that happen? Because we connected. 
So because Vayigash Elov Yehuda, who's Elov? Elov is to God. Because the Jew prays and is connected to Hashem, because God is with him, that's why even when externally it looks like he's at the mercy of some foreign ruler, in truth he's really in control. So that's the beginning of the parish. This idea recurs again through the entire Torah portion, in which the Torah is really telling us the first time. The Torah is recording a story of the Jewish people going into a foreign nation. This is our first exile. This is like the beginning of a, of, of a dark, bloody history. Pashas Vayigash. This is the first time the Jewish people as a people are going to exile. And yet, when we read the Torah portion, we see that they had, literally, they rolled out the red carpets for them. Pharaoh told Joseph, tell your parents, come to the land, don't be afraid, I'm going to settle you in the best of the land. I'm giving you Beverly Hills, the nicest neighborhood. I'm going to settle you in the, most, in the wealthiest of place, whatever you need, I'm going to support you, I'm going to feed you. Free housing, free food, free, it's all on the government. Pharaoh promised. The Jewish people came in and they were um, what is it? Uh, noble citizens, or I forgot what it's called. Indicating a very, very, very On the one hand, an exile, an exile it is, as long as we're not, as the Rebbe keeps on referring to it in this amazing talk, as when, long as we're not at our Father's table, we're not sitting, we don't have the intimacy with God, because the intimacy with God is not an exile. It's during the time when we're in the temple, we can see Hashem, we feel that we're sitting at His table. So the fact that we are driven away from our home, even if we are living at a lavish feast, and we're living in, a, in, in, in the, in the Ritz-Carlton. We're given everything you can imagine. It is still the most painful experience. Just because of the deep pain of separation. And even though God comes along with the Jewish people in exile, but again, that's the, the divine presence is hidden. So it's not like being intimate and being at the palace with Hashem. But in as much as, as possible to be comfortable and to be taken care of and even pampered, and even rich, Mitzrayim was extraordinary in the beginning stages, the first period. And it wasn't only good physically, it was good spiritually as well. Because as we know that Yaakov sent Yehuda down, it says in the parsha, Yehuda went in front of him, or they went, and later in the parsha they went down, he established a yeshiva, an academy, where they studied Torah. And he had an education system for his family to the point that right from Parshas Vayigash, we seamlessly, without any interrupts, the only Torah portion that doesn't have a, a marker in the Torah that it ends. Vayigash flows right into the next Torah portion, Vayichi, as if it's one verse. There's absolutely no separation. It's very hard for you. You have to get an Aliyah. I'm a Kohen, so I get a lot of times the first Aliyah. So when you get to Vayichi, it's hard to find it because you're looking for a space. There's no space there. 
So Vayigash flows right into Vayichi, which indicates that this situation is so good, it flows right into the time when Jacob lives for 17 years, the last 17 years of Yaakov's life, he lived in Egypt. And we know that the number 17 is a very significant number. Because 17 is the numeric value of the word tov. Tov means good. That means in Yaakov's life, there was really two periods where it was good for him, that he considered good. The first was this first 17 years when he came back after his encounter with Esau and lived in Lovin's house. He was married, he had a family. For 17 years he had a son Joseph with him. He had a lot of satisfaction and joy from all his children, especially from Joseph, from Yosef. But then after Yosef was disappeared and he had a, literally crushed him, for 22 years he was in immense suffering. When was his heart completed again? was the last 17 years of his life. But it wasn't just. The Zohar describes that during that time, Yaakov was so satiated and so spiritually had such what we call Yiddish and Nachas from his family. He saw them growing up. He saw them, it, was, it was Egypt. It was, it, it was not a holy environment, but they made it holy. They turned it into such an oasis of holiness, of God that Yaakov was comfortable. And he literally thrived for 17 years. So we really have a paradise situation. In Egypt, in, in, while it's exile. Now it's not good. That's why the Torah continues that even though from Vayigash, which is a golden age, like the golden age of Spain, the golden age in exile, in Egypt, Followed by a tranquility and a satisfaction that Yaakov is alive, Ayachi Yaakov for 17 years with, with his grandchildren. It's beautiful. But still, we from there immediately go to the next book, which speaks about the darkness, but the main message of the next book, Sefer Shemos, is redemption. Because we still need redemption. Even if it's really, really delightful, we need redemption for no other reason than we want to be close to God. Now this tranquil time, as I mentioned earlier, is not just because God wants to give us a break. So much suffering, so much pain, all the persecution. In Egypt, we can say he was giving them a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of be before the storm, there's the calm. So they had a calm period before the horrors began. As I mentioned earlier, in our exile, it works the opposite. The horrors of the nightmare of, of exile were in the early part of the night. And as you conclude the night, the exile, at least in terms of physical persecution, lightened up for the Jewish people. And there's a period of tranquility and wealth and prosperity, and as we said before. So it's like kind of Hashem says, you know, I'll give you a break. Or maybe we can learn that it's what a time of therapy. If we would come right out from the ashes of the Holocaust, broken and crushed and scarred, deeply scarred, and immediately go into uh, Mashiach, we would not be able to appreciate it. We would just be too traumatized. So God gives us kind of this 70-year period of rehabilitation. 
kind of a therapeutic time. I'm not diminishing the problems. I'm not diminishing the suffering that they're still going on in, in, in individual lives of people going through a lot of hardship and a lot of darkness. But again, I'm talking about comparatively to what we've been through from 1939 till 1945, or the other horrors throughout history in which we've had. The, the, this was pretty much a golden age. So you can say it's just like, a, as we said, it's, it's like a therapy session so that we can kind of act transition into Mashiach. Mashiach will have, will have a heart to be able to receive him. And we'll have a nation, we'll have a built up people, millions of people willing to, ready to greet the Mashiach. The land of Israel was built up. We don't have to start from scratch. Like so much we can say happened during this period of time, kind of as preparation. But really it's much deeper than that. And it's related to what we were talking about before. And that is that since, in other words, since the whole idea of the powerful godly lights that are going to shine when Mashiach comes are not separated from the darkness, but they are a, cons a consequence of the darkness. They are the product of the darkness. It's the sparks of holiness of exile itself that are going to illuminate the sky with the brightness of the redemption. So in order that we should make that connection and see that it's it's the horrors themselves that are stripped from their darkness and that is Mashiach, the brightness that was hiding in the darkness. In order that we should see that, we have before Mashiach comes a period where the monsters of exile themselves become, are transformed. And that's this period. So this period is actually expressive. It's, it's essential to the exile and it's essential to the redemption and to the relationship of the exile to the redemption. It must be before Mashiach comes because it expresses what Mashiach is all about. So this idea, the Rebbe then formulates it that, knows what's the idea over here? That the darkest element of exile itself is metamorphosized and becomes the greatest, brightest light of the redemption. And it's seen in the fact that in, that in the days of dark exile, we experience a brightness before we experience the ultimate brightness. But we do have brightness in the exile itself. Because that idea is expressed in, as again, that's the theme of this week's parsha. But it's to be seen in in the very notion of Yehuda and Yosef coming together, when we get into the mystical element of it. When we look at this, at this, at this, at this, at this Hagash, of Yigash El of Yehuda, that Yehuda and Yosef come together, from the Hasidic, from the more mystical interpretation, it is explained that Joseph, that Yehuda and Yosef represent two energies. Yehuda is the energy of earth and Joseph and Yosef is the energy of heaven. Yosef is spirituality and Yehuda is physicality. Or as it is sometimes referenced 
Yehuda is related to the inanimate domain, stone, mineral, Yosef, and that's why he's named Yehuda. Yehuda means silence, submission, silence. Um, Yosef means to increase. So Yehuda, the energy of Yehuda is bittel, silence, surrender. The energy of Yosef is Yosef means lahosef to grow, like tzomeach, like plant. Plant grows, it develops. So spiritually, it relates to Yosef exhibits the qualities of spirituality. It's always growing, and and Yehuda exhibits the the what seems to be the weakness of the physical. It seems to be dead. On not growing and the like. In, in other words, Yosef is the power of as we mentioned, let, let's translate into the human experience. Yosef is the spiritual side of the person, Yehu, more than a shama, and Yehuda is the body. Or, as it's in many Hasidic discourses, Yosef is thought and speech, which thought and speech are more spiritual. In our behavior itself, there is thought and speech, which thought and speech is more spiritual. And Yehuda's action. So according to this interpretation, Yosef is higher than Yehuda because Yosef is thought. And the quality of thought and the quality of speech is superior to the quality of action. My action. And that's why when we see in this relationship between Yehuda and Yosef, is that Yosef is considered the... Yehuda needs Yosef. Yehuda is approaching Yosef. He needs a favor from Yosef. Yehuda is stepping up to Yosef saying, please, please my master, help me. So Yehuda is the weaker one. And Yosef is the more powerful one. However, however, it explains, again, and the Hasidic interpretation of the Parsha is explained that this state of being, that Yehuda is weaker, which means the physical world Earth is 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 um, less than heaven, and heaven is more. Heaven is the mashpia, the influencer, and earth is the recipient. And earth is lower than heaven. And Yehuda again, and the the, the uh, action is weaker than thought and speech, the spiritual side. That's only the way things are now. But if you take a look, for instance, in the Haftorah of Parshas Vayigash, we find out that Hashem tells the prophet uh, Yecheskel, the Haftorah is from Yecheskel, that in the days of Mashiach, you should take two, 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 two sticks. One of them will be written on it, Ephraim, the other, which is Yosef. The other one will be written on it, Yehuda. And you should take, which represent the two kingdoms, because the Jewish kingdom split between Joseph and Yehuda. And you should bring them together, and they will become, eventually, they will become one, one stick. And the Jewish nation won't be divided anymore into two kingdoms. 
And in the end, who's going to be the ultimate final ruler of the Jewish people? It's going to be the descendant of Judah, not the descendant of Yosef. Avdi David, King David, which is Mashiach, is going to be the ultimate ruler. So mystically, I mean, we discussed this in many classes, so I don't want to get lost in it, because I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going towards one, one place today, which is, you're going to, Hashem, in a couple of moments, we'll be there. Just, this is important for the, for, the, for, the, for the building up towards there, and the connection to the parasha. Is that um, eventually Yehuda is going to be more powerful than Yosef. He's going to rise above Yosef. Which means, ultimately, what does that mean? That the physical is going to be holier than the spiritual. And that action, which is physical, what's action? Action is, is, is something that you're, it's a physical, physical activity. As opposed to thought and speech, which is an exercise of a more spiritual side of the human being. It's an activity of the spirit, not an activity of the soul. Action is an activity of the, of the body. Now, action is weaker than thought and speech. A Torah scholar is full of knowledge is greater than a simple mitzvah doer. Because this one just does action. This is a Torah scholar. He's got all the knowledge and all the information. We respect the knowledge. We respect the spiritual. That means Joseph is in our eyes higher than Yehuda. That's only now. When Mashiach will come, earth will be equal to heaven. Not only will be earth equal to heaven, earth will actually rise above heaven. We see that idea also with the sun and the moon. Now the moon, which is Joseph, I'm sorry, um, the sun, which is Joseph, compared to the Yehuda, which is the moon, Yehuda, the moon, is a recipient from the light of the sun. The sun is higher than the moon. When Mashiach will come, the moon will be equal. First it says they will be equal. Hashem will restore the moon to its initial light that sun and the moon will be of equal power. And then eventually, the moon will rise higher than the sun. The woman will be the crown of her husband. What was, for, what was always the makabal, the makabal, the recipient, is going to be higher than the mashpia, than the influencers. Feminine energy, the recipient, will rise higher than masculine energy. And the physical earth will be greater than heaven holier than heaven, godlier than heaven. God will be more present and more expressed in the material and in the physical than in the spiritual. The body will be holier than the soul. That's the objective. That's where it's going to get to. And that's hinted to also in Vayigash El of Yehuda, because when you see in this confrontation, when Yehuda and Yosef get together, who eventually wins? Who prevails on who? Yehuda wins that Yosef can't, Yosef is trying to control himself. And Yehuda's words overpower him. So you see that even in the Parsha, Yehuda is, even though Yehuda is the weaker one, in the room, Yosef has at his disposal. He's got an army of, 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 of 100,000 Egyptians can come storm the palace. And Yehuda's got nothing. He's got his, okay, he's got his 10 brothers over there. They're pretty strong guys. But, but yet Yehuda, Yehuda wins. Because ultimately, in the depth, Yehuda is strong. This idea, this represents the concept that what God ultimately... Why, why is the physical so powerful? The physical is so powerful because God desired the physical world. When God created heaven and earth, He created heaven to be a place of brightness, a place of illumination. He created earth to be a place of darkness and concealment. But what does He... What interests him? 
What excites him, not heaven, what excites God is earth. When earth responds to God, when earth becomes consistent with God's will, synchronizes with his will, that is far more delightful, entertaining to God, and therefore satisfying to Hashem, than all the spirituality of the heavens, and all the compliance, and all the, all the, all the excitement, and the, 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 it doesn't interest him. Earth is what God is cra literally craving for. The physical. So, now watch this. This idea that God wants earth more than anything else, which is expressed in this dynamic of Yehuda and Yosef, and eventually Yehuda rising over Yosef, again is the theme of the Parsha, where the exile itself is transformed. The why. So watch this. We know that the, our, when I said before, there is thought and speech and then there is action, just like there's thought, speech, and action in, human, in a human being's behavior, there's thought, speech, and action in God's behavior as well, because we are in the image of God. When God thinks of his thoughts, he creates a very subtle creation called the world of creation, called the world of Berea, the world of creation. When God speaks, he creates the world of formation, a world full of angels. Again, the world of Berea is a world of souls. When he, when he speaks, he creates the world of formation, which is a world of angels. And when God does acts, he creates the physical planet, which is the material physical world. This is action. And there's a verse, it's a Pasuk. The Pasuk says, L'chvaydi for my honor. It's a Pasuk in Yeshaya, in Isaiah. L'chvaydi for my honor. Barasiv, I created it. Yetzartiv, I formed it. Af asisiv, I also completed it, or I also made it. So the last stage, the physical universe, the physical and earth, planet earth, the physical existence, the material world, God brought into existence after a process of berasiv, I created it, yitzaritiv, I formed it, af asisiv, I also made it. But it's interesting. When the verse is saying this whole process, I created it, I formed it, I made it. What's this also? I also created it. And the word for in Hebrew for also is the word af. Now, this is the key to the whole class tonight. It's the word af. Which af means I also. What that means, so the, the Rebbe brings from his great-great-great-grandfather, from the Alter Rebbe, the Zalman of Liadi, the first Chabad Rebbe, that he says that shows on the lowliness of the material world. In order to create the material world, there needed to be a severance, there needed to be an interruption, there needed to be a halt in the creative process. If the creative process would just run its course, just from level to level, one thing would cause the next, cause and effect, we would never get to a physical material world that is so thick and dense and obscuring of God. It, it couldn't happen. We can never get to a world, a world that's so dismissive of a creator. Couldn't happen. The world would always have some, retain some kind of a consciousness of God. 
But God didn't want that. God wanted a world that it's possible to ignore Him, a possible you can even deny Him, and possible to rebel against. So what does He do? He created it. And the created realm that He created is filled with godly consciousness and admiration, and song and praise, the ain't, that's what souls do all day long. And then He also formed it. Once He forms the world, it's a little less... Like angels are lesser than, 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 than souls. The godly revelation in that world is pretty weaker, severely weaker than the previous case, but it's still a continuum. Then God makes an end. He disconnects. He stops it. There is a stop. And that stop creates a void. And it's almost like he's rethinking or he stops the creative process. No creation. And then he continues. And he creates. What's the point of stopping? Is that when he, when, he, when, he, when he starts again, he's not starting again where he left off. The space is an interruption. And the new reality that suddenly emerges is clueless. has no godly sense at all. And that's the loneliness of this dark. And that's the meaning of the word af asif. If I also made it, the also is that space, which makes this world such a dark place. But the Rebbe says that word also in Hebrew, which means af, I also made it, also means anger. Af in Hebrew also means anger. Because as a result of this disconnect and this separation, as a result of this space, of this pause, of the world becoming so ungodly, that's what allows for all the unholy and evil and all the stuff that cause anger. So all the wrath and anger that there is in the world, whether God is angry at the world, whether we're angry at God, or whether we're angry at each other, or that there is war, or in general there is evil and bad stuff in the world that, can, that, can, that, that cause anger, it's all related to this disconnect, and it's only in the physical world. That's weird. There's all this dark stuff. So, af, according to this, it's really bad. However, here's the secret. Here's the liberating thought. Till now, it's just depressing. Here's the liberating thought. What did we say earlier? That what, is, what does God covet? What does God desire? What does God crave? darkness that must be that his because his inner desire is in the darkness that means deep in the darkness lay God's essence of why he's initiating the whole process that's why the word af has one more meaning very important af means it means also but not in the negative also I also am continuing also means Whenever there is a word af, Hebrew, it means to add something. Like he said, also, also means to add. What's being added? So there's, there's an addition here. What's the addition? The addition is like this. All the three worlds are worlds. By worlds, meaning they're creations. They're lim they're, they're, it is limitation. It's just various different levels of limitation. There is a very sublime entity, but it's limited. 
There's a lesser sublime entity, also limited. And then there is a very, very, very dark entity, very limited. But they're all limited. And they're all creation. By putting also in there, also means connecting to a level that's unlimited. In other words, to a dimension that's infinitely beyond it all, which means that the divine. And where can you connect and capture and discover the infinite? Only in the dark, in the dark stuff. Only in the lowest of worlds, only in the material, physical world, the most disconnected, the most anti-God, the most unholy of places, only over there can you discover Af, also, the higher also, in Kabbalah, it's the world of Atzilut, the world that's completely one with God. How far is the world of creation from the world of emanation, from this fourth world, from the world? An unbridgeable distance. Can't bridge. How far is the lowest physical world from the world of emanation? Just as unbridgeable. Yes, but Dafka from the lowest world is where you create that bridge, where you create that ladder. Why? Because hidden in the material world is the secret to connect and draw down what transcends it all, which is God himself. And that's hidden in the af. So behind the anger is the ultimate light. In the anger itself, the flip side, the other side of the anger is the ultimate truth of Hashem's real, real, real self. Only in the darkness. Only in that disconnect. And he says, it's amazing, you know when God created the world? All of this, this whole teaching, God could use the letter He to create the world. So when you look at a He, you see the He has an upper roof. A He is made up of three parts. An upper roof, a right leg, and then a left leg. And the bottom is empty, but there's a left leg. But there's a difference between the right leg and the left leg. The right leg is attached up to the roof of the letter He, the left leg is hanging, suspended. There's a space. We know that God created the world with a hay. That's what it says, because Hashem, this world's created with a hay. The reason is, the upper roof of the hay is Hashem's thought, creating, therefore, the world of Bria, that we spoke about earlier, the world of creation. The right leg of the hay is Hashem's speech, creating and sustaining the world of Yetzirah. These two worlds are spiritual worlds and they're attached to each other. That's why. Because from the thought comes naturally the speech. Then the left leg, that's action. That's the material world. The material world, we said before, is suspended. It's not a continuum. Because the spirituality of the previous worlds are not sensed in the physical world. The physical world seems to be suspended, disconnected, completely godless. That's the left leg hanging in the ear in this, in this disconnected state. And the space between the roof and the left leg is the af, is the anger. It's a very dark space. Right on top of the left leg of the world. It's the hovering wrath and anger. But dafka in that space, the left space, that's the entranceway. And when you bring God in, and you fill the entire hay he with Hashem, you make it, that's interesting because if you, you know, it's amazing the Rebbe says it in one of the footnotes. He says, if you take away the left leg, take away the left leg, and you only leave the two, the roof and the right, what do you have? You have the letter Dalid. 
When you bring the left leg in, now you have a hay. What's the difference between dalid and hay? Dalid means, in Hebrew, dal. Dalid comes from the word dal. Dal means poor. You have a poor existence. Why is it poor? Souls and angels. They're so rich. No, they're poor. Why are they poor? They're creations. Nebach creations. Poorly creation. Pathetic creations. Finite and limited. But when you take the dollar and you make it into hay, what's hay? Whenever you put a hay, we always know hay symbolizes God's name. When you want to write in a, in, a, in a thing, you want to put Hashem's name, you don't want to write Hashem's name, you put just the letter hay. That's it. With the little dot on mark on the top, and you say hey, that's Hashem. The hay is symbolic of God. So the dalit means poor. What's the hay? The ultimate wealth. It's now turned from being impoverished. To, but what does it need? What makes the dalit into a hay? Action. In other words, God doesn't enter this world with all the good thoughts and with all the good speeches, God doesn't enter this world. God enters this world when there is action. When the physical substance of this world become godly through the act of a mitzvah. That's what completes it. That's what fulfills God's craving in creation. So suddenly the world is infinite because it's Hashem. It's no more dal, it's no more poor. But here's the secret. This physical world, this is what I was suddenly alarmed me when I was learning it this time, which I never saw before. This physical world, the physical world, is which letter, which side of the hay? The left side of the hay. Which somehow, and that indicates that it's related to the darkness. This world's a very dark world. And that's why the power that dominates in this world is the power of the left. We find ourselves in a situation where the left seems to be out of control, dominating. And that is calling wrath. That's causing anger. As I mentioned to you in the beginning of the class, how angry it makes me and I think so many, how it's like, like what's going to be? We can't stand the clip of the stench. It's just still terrible. Aff. So the Rebbe says an amazing thing. He says, just, just like you see in, in, in the physical world, as we spoke earlier, the, the lowest, the physical, is really the secret to the highest of the high, to the redemption of all the spiritual levels. So it is in the world itself, there is the time when the good days, Beis Amigdash and so forth, first temple, second temple, which could be compared to the roof of the hay and the right side of the hay, and then there is an exile. The exile is the time of anger, the time of wrath. That's the time that the world goes into real plummets, into real darkness, into real concealment, into real anger. That's where we have angry Gentiles who are persecuting the Jewish people, causing all kinds of horrific suffering. And Jews are, are, are upset, they're scared, they're worried, they're frightened, they're pained. They're, it's horrible. And as the exile progresses, it gets darker and darker and darker. The further into the exile, the darker, at least spiritually, it gets darker and darker and darker. In other words, here's this, every moment longer in exile becomes more af, more anger, more darkness. But here's the secret that got me so excited when I read this. The secret is every law, every moment longer in exile is also as the af gets darker, it's also more fulfilling for God where He wants a home in the darker world. Again, within the darkness, He wants the Jew doing a mitzvah in the darkness, in the most godly, godless of situations revealing God. So as it's getting more af, more, more anger, more disconnected, 
as the darkness of the word af is increasing, it's also adding af, it's adding deeper satisfaction and therefore bringing in a deeper truth of God in that very same place. So every moment of extreme darkness is also a moment of, the, of, of, of extreme brightness, of, of extreme depth, of extreme godliness. Both of them happen at the same second. You see how the two afs are coming together. As it's becoming more af of darkness, it's becoming more af of the fourth level, which as we said before, is the ultimate truth of Hashem, is at the same time being revealed more and more and more in the lowest of the worlds. Since Moshiach is the revelation of that fourth level, the Gilui of Hashem in the world, it has to come from the darkness itself being converted. And that's the theme, as we said earlier, of Pashas Vayigash. The Jews come down into Egypt, and Pharaoh, who is an anti-Semite, as we see later what he does, we see, but yet, during the time the Jews were there, at least in the beginning, he is at the command of Joseph. He is doing whatever Joseph tells him, and he's, as we said earlier, rolling out the red carpet for the Jewish people, doing for them whatever they want, which is indicative of the idea that even the dark forces of exile are acting in supportive of holiness, which will, as the Rebbe prophesizes and says, will happen in the end of exile, that whatever is dark in exile is converted. And he says, and then he goes ahead and he says, it's particularly, this idea of af is particularly related to the final time, the generation that we're in. Because when did this situation in Egypt happened when Joseph came to Egypt and Joseph becomes the viceroy of, of, of Mitzrayim, becomes the Mishnah Lamelech. He says, in our generation there is a Joseph. He says, his father-in-law, the leader of the Jewish people, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, who fought single-handedly the, the, the beast, communist beast, Stalin and those brutal monsters. And he was thrown into prison and they wanted to kill him. And then he made it out and he came to the shores of America. And from when the time that he came to America, this golden Medina, I mean the, the golden age of prosperity, because Joseph came. Joseph comes to Egypt. Egypt is, becomes elevated. So America, which is really, should have been the most darkest of exiles, because it's the furthest away from Israel, it's so far, it's on the other side of the globe. It should have been a very dark and gloomy exile, becomes the most supportive. And as we know, down here in America's Esau, Esau becomes an ally to the Jewish people instead of a, a, a force harming Israel. This is all because we convert the Af and this, during this period. And he says how it's, we see it just in the last few years, especially he says now, after, after 50 years after my father-in-law came to America and after he passed away and now there's 40 years later and so on and so forth, we're seeing how Russia is converting, the, the exile is converting to become supportive. This is all this idea of Af. And he says, it's becoming so intense. Why? And here is the, the clincher. He says, why is it becoming so intense? He says, because it's already the revelation of Mashiach. It's already the revelation of Mashiach. It's already the time of, he quotes Psukim from Psalm 89, from Kapitel Peites. In Psalm 89, in Tehillim, it says over there, God says, 
Karati Bris David Avdi. I made a covenant with David. Matsasi David Avdi. I found David my servant. Beshem and Kachi Meshachtiv. I anointed him with my oil. Karati Bris. I made a covenant with David. Beshem and Kachi Meshachtiv. Nishbati le David Avdi. I made an oath with David Amelech. And um, so it's already, he says, you know, God promised already to David. It's already the revelation of, of David's kingship. It's already the fulfillment of Parshas Vayigash that Yehuda rises. And that's why you're seeing already the idea that the low, the material, the physical world is beginning to, 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 to transform from its lowliness to become the most godliest of places. Why is he suddenly bringing chapter 89? What is chapter 89 in him? You could speak about Mashiach from so many different places. Because the Rebbe that year himself was saying that the Rebbe then was 88 years old, 57, 51. He was going on his 89th birthday, which was going to happen in the year 57, 81, which became 57, 51. In 1991, the Rebbe reached the age of 89, Yud Aleph Nisan, on the 11th day of Nisan. And then the following year, he entered into, the, into his 90th year. But that year, he was saying the chapter 89, because the way we know the Minog is that we always say the chapter that's, if, if, if it's, a, it's, a, it's a Minog handed down from the Holy Baal Shem Tov, that every, every year, every day, you say your chapter of Tehillim of the year that you're, that you're, that you're making progress into. So if you're 50 years old, you say 51. If you're 60, you say 61, so on and so forth. So the Rebbe then was 88, he was saying 89. So he's saying in these couple, it's already the dominion of Mashiach, he says. Hashem chose already David Avdi, which I, I shared with you many times that the Rebbe stopped short from explicitly, explicitly stating openly that he's Mashiach, but he kept on conveying it again and again and again and again and again and again, again nonstop. And, and part of it is, and you see, it became already the time of the dominion of Mashiach. So we're already living in Mashiach times. Of course, the world is converting. Everything is changing. And here is where he drops a bomb. He says in footnote 94, I should really get it. I forgot to put it down over here. So let me, let me pull it for you over here because I want you to see the, the depth of it. I'm just going to stop for a second. He says in footnote 94, again, these are all edited talks. These are not stam someone wrote down. The Rebbe himself had these in his office, went over it scrupulously, every word. So in, 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 in um, page 214, this is the book, Sefer Hasichas Tashin Aleph. On page 214, um, footnote 94, he makes a very interesting observation. He says that, you know, chapter 89 is the ninth chapter, or is the eighth chapter, no, the ninth chapter, if you divide to, in the group of chapters starting from 81 till 90. Which means, what does he say? He's saying that some, one of the ways, we know that Tehillim is divided into 150 chapters. In addition to that, it's divided into seven books. I'm sorry, it's divided into five books, corresponding to the five books of the Torah. It's also divided into seven divisions, certain, I don't know, 25, 30 chapters, something like that. 
in which you can say every day. Sunday has its group. It's also divided into the days of the month. That's the minog by Chabad Chassid and every day and so many other people have this minog to say every day a day and when you finish it the entire month and you start over again. Fine. In addition to that, he's speaking of something that's not common. It is also divided into 15 sections. Why? Because it's got 150 chapters. So if you, if you, you can divide it into groups of 10. Who says that you can divide it that way? I mean, you can chop it up in any way you like, but who's, he says there is a minog that way sometimes that when there is an auspicious time, doesn't have to be in a problem time, he says, sometimes just because of goodness, is that there is a minog to say 10 chapters a day. Again, I never read about this any other time, but over here he mentions it. There is such a minog. Based on that, the first section is from 1 till 10. Second chapter is from 11 till 20. And you go higher, higher. So he says, if that's the division, then there is a group. What's the group? From 81 till 90. Which chapter is the one about Mashiach that he's talking about? 89. But he says, hey, the first one of that group is 81. Which he says, 81, pay Aleph, interesting, he says, is the word af which is referring to everything we spoke about in this talk, that af means the world in a very, very dark state. A world that's angering, a world that's disconnecting. Generally, it refers to the physical, that the physical is disconnected. Specifically, it talks about the time of exile, which the time of exile is a, is a, is a, is a dark time. Yet he says, but it's not spelled af. Because if you're saying, when you say Tehillim, you look at it, it says chapter 80, it's Pei. And the next chapter is Pei Aleph, like we say this year, Pei Aleph. We don't say Af, Pei Aleph. And that, he says, is indicating to the idea, watch this, that is indicating to the idea that the anger is flipped over. It's not Af anger, it's anger, the anger is flipped the other direction, it's Pei Aleph. And what does it stand for, Pei Aleph? When you flip the anger, you get that fourth direction, that infinite light of God, which is a wonder. And you say about that, it stands for, he says, the word stands for, Plaos Arenu, I will show you wonders. But how will he show us wonders? From the anger, from the wrath. First there's anger, and then it's flipped over. And then on the bottom he says, Similar, on the footnote, on the footnote, there's a bunch of notes over here. He says the idea of Plois Irenu is similar to the year 5751, which 5751 was coined by the Rebbe as Tiesh Nas Niflois Irenu. It will be a year that wonders we will see, and that year there was incredible wonders. So the Rebbe says, that Pe'alev, now again, he doesn't say that he's talking about a year. He's talking about a number Pe'alev. But then the fact that he's comparing it to the year, and he's saying Pe'alev out of nowhere. It's like, why is he talking? He seems to be a prophetic vision about this year. That this year is a year where there is first an anger. First, the bad guys have control. It flips over. Now, how do you know it has to do with the bad guys having control? One of the things which I omitted and I didn't get to, the Rebbe brings on the word af. He brings what it says in Midrash, 
I'll tell you where it says. 74, in Eicha Rabbah. In Medrash Rabbah in Eicha, Perak Aleph, Nun Zion. Chapter 1, um, 57, part 57. It says over there, the Jewish people were beaten with Af. Af means anger. They were beaten with Af, but the, and they were healed with Af. That means that the very Af itself beats them and then heals them. The beating, the curse, and the, and the, and the blessing. Why? When God speaks about bringing the, the Jewish people into exile, for the first time it's in Bechul Koisai, where he talks about the harshness that's going to come if we fail to keep his Torah. He says, if you will go with me, Bikeri, Bikeri means with um, chance, without, it means you're not going to take me seriously, with happenstance, something like that, or happenstance. I think I'm saying the wrong word, but whatever it is. When, when you're not, you know, you don't see my, my, my um, when you're going to go with me casually and not invest in the relationship, Af ani, I'm too will go with you, but carry with in that, treat you that way. So it says af, and I will, I will behave with you. It says the word af. Where do you see the medrash says they're healed with the word af? The pasuk says in the also bechukosai in the same curse when it speaks in the end how God is going to have a change of heart and take them back. It says va'af biyosem be'eretzivayim, and even also when they are in their land of their enemies. I'm gonna um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna comfort them, I'm gonna take them back, I'm gonna I'm not gonna forsake them forever, and so on and so forth. So it opens the verse with the word af. So you see, af is the beginning of the curse, and af is the beginning of the reconciliation is with af. So why is that? Because and he brings another midrash. This is a midrash. This is stated in Medrash Agada, but it's not uh, Medrash Lekach Tov, Bereshis Aleph. I don't have that Medrash. But he does bring Bereshis Rabbah Perik Yutes. Over there it says four. It's mentioned in Rabbeinu Bachaya. It's what it says as follows It says, There are three dark entities who started with Af, and they all didn't do well. The snake, the curse of the snake. The first words of the snake when he approached Chava was with the word Af. Even though God said you will eat from the, from the tree of knowledge. God says you shouldn't eat from, from all the trees you should eat in this tree. Right? He engaged it with the conversation with the word af. That's because the klipa, the snake, is rooted in this disconnect, in this wrath, in this anger, in this, in this venom. That's this af. So the snake opens up with af. It didn't turn out too well. The snake got cursed because he got, he brought curse upon himself. But he again, and he, he brought, I mean, all the suffering in the world started with this af. Think about it. The next one who opens with the word af, the Medrash says, is the baker. And Yosef interprets the dream. The first one, the butler, gives over his dream. And when he finishes his dream and Yosef interpreted, the baker speaks up and he says, Afani bachalomi, I too in my dream so also opens with af. In the end doesn't, again, he hands, end, ends up being hung up on a tree. The third one is Korach. Not Korach himself, the, the Medrash says Adas Korach, the assembly of Korach, referring to Dasan and Aviram, who say to Moshe Rabbeinu, Aflo Hevianu, you didn't bring us, also you, 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 you're going to bring us to the land that flows milk and honey, you didn't, you kept us over here in the desert. 
as he challenges Moshe with the word ah. And the next one was Haman, Haman, who tells his wife Zeresh, after they, he's risen up to the highest power, he says to his wife, he says that, Esther, and even when Esther makes a party, I'm the highest, I'm the most important guy, she only invites me. But still, when I see Mordechai, I can't stand him. He's, he has his off his anger. But they all end up falling. All these bad entities, that very off delivers them into their grave. So the Rebbe says, you see from here, that off essentially belongs to the other side. But that's the whole point. We, the Jewish people, were given the power to flip the other side. And then we come to the real other side, which is the side of, of the infinite and of God's essence. It's all in the flipping of the Av. So when it comes to the year that's pay Aleph, that's Av, and we're suddenly, we have a corona, and we have this thing's not stopping, and all we can stick our head out, and all we can hear is vaccinations, and this and that, and lockdowns. And economy this, and then these, 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 all these fresh farts, the yard, the eclipses, and all it doesn't, it, it looks so, like, as I mentioned, like, I mean, like ash place that we're in the garbage dump. Know what the Rebbe told us that Af will turn over from Af, from anger, it's gonna become ploys, it's gonna become wonders, it's gonna become the greatest joy. It's nothing to worry about, it's gonna be good going to be good. We are still going to dance this year. Such dance. Such happens. I pray, I hope. That the fact the Rebbe said it this week, let this be the indication that it's going to happen already this week. Not even this week. Tonight. Now. Let it happen just now. It could happen now. Why not? Right now. May we see the total flipping over of the af and only the light and only the bracha and ultimately the geula, mitis vashlem of the complete redemption. May it be now, now, and now. Thank you.